Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate at an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. I'm going to tell all you fascists you may be surprised. People all Hello, over this world and welcome to that podcast that I do, uh, Lines Led by Donkeys, that sometimes stars myself and my co-host, Nick, but this time is me and Sarah, the host of It Came From The Sea, the only heavy whale content podcast i'm aware of sarah what's up hey, you can call me nick if it makes you feel better it, it's weird um at this point i feel like legally you're scabbing nick but uh our union uh rules have not been quite ironed out am i not um, union also because that's bullshit I also well also we're not entirely sure because it might just be me and nick because everybody else are animals and we are not sure the legality of that um I think it- and I don't know if Leica can legally vote. Um, I mean, if you're making so, the union, you can make the rules, and Leica could vote on whether or not she could vote. I like that. I, I like that option. Um, so, a slight um, preface to this episode: we uh, both took part, along with like a dozen other people, mm-hmm. a twelve-hour charity stream uh, yesterday, and uh, to raise money for uh, Project Trevor. And we did very, very well. Raised over $3,500, but we were both very, very tired. Uh, <laughs> I've been sitting in this chair for collectively like a full day now. It's At this point, my chair has grafted to the skin on my ass mm-hmm. uh, to the point that I have become a gaming centaur. That's and I don't horrifying. like it. <laughs> <laughs> Just rolling around uh, the entire house in your chair. <laughs> Unfortunately, this means I will probably starve to death because my upstairs is not wheelchair accept- accessible. Oh, you can make so, it down the stairs. I believe in you. I feel like if I gather enough speed, I could just hurdle myself straight down and not hit the the, the opposite side wall with a force great enough to kill me. Uh, <laughs> only one way to find out. Um, I bo- uh, my my legal representative Shox is telling me to tell you not to do that. Um, so. I'm not part of the Sarah, union. He can't control me. <laughs> so, Sarah, we we've been through some interesting times. Uh, mm-hmm. The last, uh, the, the last time we recorded, um, a lot's a lot's happened. Like two weeks ago, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, like a a weird conspiracy theory addled brain mixed with fascists and white supremacists attempted an insurrection at the nation's capital. Um, we generally don't talk about current events on the show. But uh, I feel like it's very apt for us to leap back in time and look at another time uh, that a whole bunch of neo-Nazis attempt to overthrow a government. Though this is back when uh, the U.S. used fascists to overthrow other people's governments. The time-honored tradition. Yeah, which brings us to the Commonwealth of Dominica, circa 1981. Uh, 1981? Almost within our lifetimes. Yeah, that's not that long ago. No, it's not. (laughs) Um... 
Though I, I, I do have to start this off by saying there is no definitive proof that the United States government had uh, any support uh, of this coup. Uh-huh. Uh, actually, there's qu- there's a quite a bit of evidence saying the federal government as an entity uh, would prefer it not to happen. Uh, but there's a possibility that several uh, low members of the of Congress and state level governments did. If that sounds mm. kind of mm. recent, there's a reason why I picked this as a topic. Uh, <laughs> uh, th- so this is the insane story of Operation Red Dog. Have you ever heard of this? Red Dog? Red Dog. Uh, not Clifford, though, which would have flowed a lot better. I don't know. Clifford might have supported coups. I don't know. He's a big red dog. We can assume he's a comrade. That's true. Um, <laughs> no, I've never heard of this. Um, it's it's weird. Uh, a lot of people know bits and pieces of it because like pictures exist. Sure. But most people don't know all the details. And it's really only been um, categorized and researched heavily by a Canadian journalist in the book, The Bayou of Pigs. It- <laughs> That's a fantastic name. can tell you name. how this, this coup attempt ends. Oh. Uh, Spoilers. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, so it, it's not really well known, uh, and it's very weird. Uh, for instance, you know, the Commonwealth of Minica is a nation that's undergone a whole lot of strife in its time mm-hmm. uh, for, a, for a nation that's only about 20 mi- 29 miles across. Um, so, like, you get a lot done in that know, space. Yeah, yeah, as we say, an island that is slightly larger than that. Um, <laughs> and like... A little, little self-inflection here. While that sounds small when I say it, it will feel even smaller if you live on it. I can assure you. It's, um, it's because that is like that's about as big as Oahu, right? Just differently shaped. Just about, you know, uh, a little, little to the left or right, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's one of those like uh, a lot. So I moved here the first time when I was I PCS'd here with a bunch of other people who had never been to Oahu, and you think it's going to be like small enough that you could you could ride a bicycle around the whole thing easily and it's it's not so it's like it's no. <laughs> it's too big to conveniently get around without a car but it's also big enough that if you're driving around it in a car you've seen all of the island within like 2 weeks also it's you it's uniquely american in that it's very small but incredibly commuter unfriendly oh, yeah. uh, whether it be a bike or or if you don't own a car uh so well I, I obviously we we stand the kingdom of Hawaii on this podcast and the illegal American takeover of them. It is uniquely American in the 21st century yeah. in that there's nothing in, in in the sense of it being commutable you want or public walkable. Transit? You, Fuck like, you. I, like I live in Honolulu, I should fairly be able to like I can see like for instance I can see the Aloha Stadium from my house, which is like one <laughs> of the bigger. Sarah Palin. <laughs> I can see Hawaii from my house. Uh, like I like, hypothetically, it should be very easy for oh, me yeah. uh, as as a resident of the city to be able to uh, get to what is the largest sports venue in the state, which isn't saying a whole lot. It is not. No. I would die within like fifteen minutes of trying to walk across eight different freeways. <laughs> yeah, I lived in. So the first time I was here, I lived on Pearl Harbor for a few months, which is also like technically in Honolulu. And for me to like even take a bus to get to Waikiki, which was like five miles away, it would take over an hour. <laughs> and also like the buses run at random times and they only take cash and they only take like if you have a 20 you're not getting changed you just paid that bus 20 dollars to get downtown it's the aloha spirit yeah <laughs> um so yeah we, like I, I know that has nothing to do with the topic oh, yeah, but like right. uh, when, when like i read over how small this island is mm-hmm. i was like okay that sounds small then i remembered like 
for everyone governing this place and living in it and everyone taking part in um, everything I'm about to talk about, it was even smaller than that. Yeah. Um, it's just it's just hard to feel unless you've like dealt with. I, I think people call like island fever from time to time. I really yeah. don't like that. No. Nah, it- but like. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's weird to think about until you've experienced it. Um, so like most parts of the Caribbean, it's spent... Uh, now, I'm, t- I'm talking about <laughs> Dominica, not Hawaii. Um, spent a large portion of its history as a colonial subject to one empire or another. I mean, also first Hawaii. Being the, also Hawaii, yeah. Though at, one, at one point, kingdom of its own. True. Uh, True. Legally re- recognized sovereign nation and with trade deals with the United States. Thanks. Um, that worked out. You know, someone uh, off topic again, but so someone was like, "Well, if you wanted Hawaii to be independent, what if it became independent tomorrow? Would you move back to the states?" Like, no, nah, bro, I'd stay. Here. <laughs> <laughs> if they'd have me, I'd stay. I don't know. Yeah, that means I'd be able to immigrate out of the United States without leaving my couch. Like, oh man, yeah, when like you put a it dream like that. of mine. Um, I wouldn't have to learn another language. Um, I would have to change my life in any meaningful way. This sounds great. I would just probably, I assume, get health care. Yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, Dominica spent most of the time bouncing between the Fr- French and British empires. The first was the French in uh, 1632, uh, though in 1748, the French and the British signed a treaty to treat the small island of something of a neutral go-between, and both of them settled on it. Uh, but that changed again, as the French and the British were never really one for neutrality during this time. It's creeping towards a lot of uh, endless wars yeah. uh, that they would be shooting at each other until pretty much Napoleon died. Um, so uh, uh, the Brits eventually laid sole claim to the island. Neither side or master in this imperialism game was good news for the people of the island. Shocker. Yeah. Colonialism. Um, bad? Bad, maybe? B- bad? Um, the British and the French worked the natives so hard on the plantations that death uh, through overwork and disease was very common. So they brought in tens of thousands of slaves uh, who did not fare any better for the most part during their short life. Life expectancy on the plantation is between seven and nine years. Ooh. However, however, the survivors would become known as Afro-Dominicans uh, and would eventually become to dominate the demographic on the island because, remember, the colonizers had killed most of the natives. Right. Uh, and this is not the only country this has happened on throughout the Caribbean. It's pretty common. Um, though these Afro-Dominicans uh, would realize that Fuck those guys and launched multiple rebellions against the British overlords, all of which failed, unfortunately, because history is not just. I should point out that the French were just as horrible as the British here. It's not as very important to our story, per se, but shouldn't be left out. Um, I don't want someone to be like, well, what about the French? No, all Fuck bad. Them too. They're all bad. They all yeah. invaded an island and enslaved the people. Yeah, it's not good. In the 1800s, the Brown Act allowed people of color... Yeah, I know. Great name oh, for that one. I was just um, going to ask. Okay. Not named yeah. after a person then. It might be. I actually did not check. <laughs> let, me, let me look. We can assume racism. It's, it's a safe bet. Uh, I do not think so. No. Okay. okay. <laughs> I believe it was just named after the color of people's skin, which is, <laughs> Jesus. Which is very British. Uh, The Brown Act allowed people of color to have a voice in their uh, political process, and soon after, the abolition of slavery was passed. Uh, Kind of. There's slavery with extra steps still existed, uh, but we're not going to talk about it quite so much. Kind of like indentured servitude and debt slavery was Mm -hmm. still pretty legal and widespread. Um, 
Now, the Afro-Dominican people were the majority of the island and free to vote and run for office. They quickly became the majority elected to local assembly because that's how a representative democracy is supposed to work. Um, This upset the rich elite on the island who are still uh, the land-owning white people who had inherited the wealth of their terrible slave-owning forefathers. As the majority of black assembly lobbied for social reforms, welfare systems, and the empowerment of the former slave class, as well as the few surviving indigenous people, the landowning white lobbied for the UK to uh, reassert direct power over the colony. You can already know how this one uh, ends because, again, history is not just. Seeing that they were probably screwed and the crown was going to sell them out to white people again, Many recently freed slaves and middle-class Afro-Dominicans joined forces with the Maroon people, which was a name for runaway slaves uh, who had started their own sick jungle communes. Oh, that's rad. Um, Yeah, and they launched another rebellion, which was again put down. That's less rad. Yeah, yeah. I I, I stand the jungle communes all day. Uh, by 1865, the dream of a land controlled by their own majority was smashed by the UK as they fired the entire assembly and replaced it with white people. Um, though minimal elections were held as a kind of participation trophy to try to head off any other rebellions, yeah. no kind of uh, meaningful reforms were put into place to empower the formerly enslaved, which is just fine for the landowners, uh, because much like here in the U.S., means you can exploit them again in a system we like to call slavery with extra steps. This was uh, the debt servitude, um, a lot of sharecropping, kind of. Um, I can't wait for this yeah, to hit sit- Mars. Yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna be really great when Elon Musk does this, uh, you know, a million miles in the air. Uh, it was really funny when he was talking about what he wanted on Mars, <laughs> and he unironically described the plot of the video game Outer Worlds, <laughs> which is about you know uh, effectively corporate fiefdoms in outer space yeah. and treating people like shit. I hear um, that capitalism effect- it, like- it breeds innovation though. Yeah, it it was 1920s like uh, uh, labor laws, but on Mars, which is I'm sure is great. Um, he's the only person to make like Andy Weir's version of Mars uh, in Artemis look smart in comparison. Uh, <laughs> I regret bringing uh, it up, but only a little. That energy drink I just drank goes down smooth with uh, space apartheid. Now, um, this pretty much continued unabated for generations with the UK bouncing it around to different island groups like the Leeward and Windward Islands and administration moves that didn't really mean anything. Um, for the people who live there. But slowly in the 1960s, colonialism was becoming a bit of a problem for Democratic Nation's public relations bit as bastions of freedom right. standing against you know, the global creeping specter of communism. Yeah. Um, this is when like, the UK Dominic- lost a bunch of its, its holdings, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It would be cool if they lost more. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The fact that they still have any is like a little Scotland odd. Scotland and Northern Ireland. Yeah. Um, but uh, Dominica was like many parts of the world, uh, the the once uh, that were part of the once powerful British Empire, uh, and it was slowly given more and more power until 1978, when it was granted full independence within the Commonwealth system. A system I'm not going to go into in great detail because I don't care. Uh, also, it doesn't really matter. Um, the problem was the people who came to power after 1978 were deeply corrupt and seemingly not sure how exactly to run a country. Um, Classic. one of those people, yeah, it, this happened pretty much all throughout <laughs> Africa as well. Um, and, uh, it, one of the reasons w- was, is the, the, the outgoing colonial administration did not 
elevate people who were good administrators. They elevated people who were good colonial administrators, mm-hmm. which are two different things. Yeah, right, <laughs> um, right, right. A very, very good yesman. Um, though Patrick John, which is the guy who had become the prime minister, could have been so much better. Um, but eh, he wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a socialist, or at least he said he was, and he was also a trade unionist. Um, he also was five one. I don't know we why I need to point that out. Stan, a short king. <laughs> You're going to regret those words. <laughs> oh, we don't inherently stand short kings. Uncritical support to five one Patrick John. That's um, not what I said. I, uh, now the the. The reason why I bring up his height is when you when I say everything that's about to happen, it is somehow darkly funny that it comes from a man who could comfortably fit in most suitcases. Yeah. Um, He's shorter than I was when I was like 13. <laughs> he is a wee lad. Um, small boy. He, yeah. He's even smaller than Ben Shapiro, which is very strange. Um, so he, was in, he inherited a... A country that was pretty much in shambles. Uh, had no real economy anywhere. Um, so he attempted to make deals anywhere he could in order to bolster the small developing economy of Dominica. Uh, pretty much all of them were illegal or at best unethical. <laughs> uh, first, he intended to take land from small farmers and set up a free port ran by an American consortium of business that uh. would virtually be operated as a state within a state. What? It'd be completely independent of all Dominican rule. Like like a banana republic, but a port? <laughs> He's going to sell a fiefdom to somebody. Yeah, what? Yeah, like what if an airport but sovereign nation, but only like for business reasons. But also in your backyard, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, and this is on an island that is very small. Yeah. So like this airport, which is probably going to you know eventually seep into becoming the whole thing, uh, was going to take up and become... A dominating part of your government. Um, and that didn't work. Okay. I'm st- uh, because okay. pretty much, yeah, pretty much everybody in government was like, what? Yeah. No. <laughs> it seemed like most of the reason why this idea even got off the ground is because of large amounts of monetary bribes towards Patrick John himself. No. Um, and then the BBC disclosed another deal that uh, Patrick John's representatives were trying to purchase oil on behalf of apartheid South Africa, who was being crushed by sanctions at the time. Yeah, we, uh, we no longer stand a short king. <laughs> <laughs> uh, again, this all comes back towards Elon Musk. Um, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> was he also trying to look for emeralds? Yeah. <laughs> He just opened a suitcase and fucking emeralds fell out. That's what they were paying him um, in. And like, and Domin- it's not really known how much or if at all Domenica ever did this because he was. They were effectively going to act as a money laundering scheme for the entire nation of South Africa uh, because at the time, I mean, shipping law is already kind of just more like a vibe. Well, um, yeah, yeah. So I did. I did an episode of my podcast that's all about like how the fisheries business is really corrupt, and a big part of that is just because like. Shipping laws are just like loose guidelines. You you can yeah. pay people in cash, and you can just keep people on board your vessel for ten years. No one's gonna check. It's fine. As like we talked about that a little bit when we talked when we uh, did a bonus episode on documentary Lord of War uh, starring <laughs> Nicolas Cage, uh, when uh, he just like switched the flags yeah. of a country yeah. and Interpol, which you know is obviously not that powerful or at powerful at all of an organization it was like oh shit we can't touch them and like 
obviously that was a bit of um, Hollywood magic on that part because. Uh, but the guy that the that Lord of War is based on, a weapon smuggler named Victor Bout, quite literally yeah. did something that simple yeah. uh, to beat blockades. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm a ship from this place, and I'm going here. Yeah. I understand that it shares a land border with this country that's under sanctions. However, you don't know that's what I'm doing. Yeah, no, that's super calm. And like, it is sometimes it is just like you switch the flag and you just cover up the name of the vessel with like a sign. <laughs> Well, it was like um, one of the things that uh, Charles Taylor, one of the, uh, the one of the few people that the International Criminal Tribunal is able to, or the International Criminal Court is able to hold accountable, was like uh, during uh, the uh, Sierra Leonean Civil War, where most of uh, Revolutionary United Front's money was coming from blood diamonds. Mm. A topic we'll eventually discuss at length at some point, I'm sure. Uh, like they couldn't sell Sierra, Le- Sierra Leonean diamonds because everybody knew. They're going to go to like buying jets and bigger machetes to cut people's hands off. So like suddenly Liberia's diamonds export, which shares a large border with Sierra Leone, was like up 300%. Everybody's like, this is fine. This is fine. (laughs) Also, you just said bigger machetes. I'm just picturing like comically large diamond encrusted machetes. Conflict machetes. Conflict machetes. Yeah, they're artisanal machetes. Uh, But like these are the things that like Patrick John was like his big brain, tiny bodied ass was thinking of coming up with. And they all failed miserably. Okay, what if we're what Um, if our country was independent? Ooh, what if our country literally was just a scam? (laughs) I mean, that's effectively how uh, uh, Naratu still exists. (laughs) Uh, or Noraru, or however it's pronounced, uh, a money laundering scheme for the former Soviet Union, (laughs) which. Sure, um, kind of respect it. Yeah, you got Sometimes you got to look at a hustle and be like, you know, it's a stretch, but I see you. I don't. I don't have to like respect you as an honorable person, mm-hmm. but I got to respect the hustle. Yeah, um, I can appreciate the effort. Pa- yeah, Patrick Sean hustle is actually dog shit uh, <laughs> because none of this worked. Uh, Dominica was and still largely is one of the poorer nations mm-hmm. in the region. Uh, that isn't to do with corruption so much anymore, but it's a small you know, independent economy without a whole lot of leverage. Um, But this is made worse at the time uh, by endemic corruption and a horrible devastation by Hurricane David, Mm -hmm. which rocked the tiny island and rendered a large amount of its population homeless, hungry, and vulnerable. Uh, And now there is also the Dreads. Uh, Now, the Dreads is a local nickname, possibly kind of gross for the practitioners of the Rastafarian faith. Ah. Um, now, I'm not going to go into a lot about the Rastafarian faith because that is a podcast of its own somewhere, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know much about the Rastafarian faith, to be completely honest. However, I do know how what we in America think about Rastafarians. So I'm American. I'm a white guy. We generally think of a picture of Bob Marley um, or someone like Bob Marley uh, smoking weed with dreadlocks. Or more right? likely a white um, guy with dreadlocks smoking weed and thinking he's Bob Marley. <laughs> Also, maybe, yeah, depending on if you went to, like, the Evergreen uh, College or whatever. Uh, Feel called out. <laughs> um, that's pro- pretty problematic and wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, though peace, love, and coexistence is a general tenet among mainstream Rastas, the, the, the Rastas of Dominica were slightly different. Uh, but the government didn't like this hippie shit, uh, what they saw as foreign infiltration, effectively. 
the Rasta religion was imported to the island uh, from Jamaica and the U.S. and Trinidad, and it was eyed with suspicion. The island was mostly Catholic, um, and like most outer pressures, the Catholic Church did not respond well uh, to this. Um, there was uh, the powers that be were worried that the youth were turning against the church for this new religion. What scared them the most was the Ross's acceptance of smoking weed and the dreaded specter of communism. Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, and the reason for this is that the Rastas of Dominica were somewhat unique in the comparison to others. Most Rastas were working or lower class people, but uh, the Rastas of Dominica were actually came from the the upper class who traveled abroad to go uh, to, for, to school. Oh, that uh, makes like, sense. You know, so they would go to the surrounding Caribbean nations or the United States, and they came home with a new religion, but also with the concepts of class struggle, communism, and black liberation. Well, those are scary. Uh, we don't want those. <laughs> These are all things that a local government that had spent the last couple of years doing absolutely nothing about uh, uh, knew that they really hated hearing people talk about. Um, remember I said that like John framed himself as a socialist? Yeah. He, he was only really doing that for votes. <laughs> it, it, was, oh. it was more of like... No, I'm a per- sure wink. I'll, like I'll do what you want. Unions wink. Um, so like when confronted by uh, liberationists and you know uh, socialists from a from a different strain, he was like, "Oh God, <laughs> oh that's that social, not that socialism. No, no, different socialism." Yeah, yeah. No, 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 not that kind. Mm-hmm. That's foreign socialism. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, so, according to historian Gabriel Christian, he described the dreads as, quote, unemployed, literate youth for whom the social reforms of labor had fostered greater expectations. Those who became dreads had opted out of established society. When those expectations for jobs, higher education, and respected and meaningful role in contemporary Dominican society went unmet. Sounds like most of us, to be completely honest. Yeah. Um, Disaffected youth, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, remember, as I, as we've pointed out, Prime Minister John was considered somewhat left leaning, um, but he absolutely fucking hated Rastas. And to be perfectly clear, a lot of Dominicans did. Um, this was not like a government specific oppression, mm. though quickly turned into one. Um, most petty tyrants really don't like being held accountable. So rather than understanding the complaints of the Rastas and attempting to, uh, I don't know, come to terms, you know, meet them halfway or whatever, he um, described them as outsiders and communist infiltrators, which is kind of hilarious. Yeah. Um, this led to him possibly passing one of the most oppressive religious discrimination laws in the Western Hemisphere seen in the 20th century. Uh, and I know those are strong words, uh, but the Prohibited and Unlawful Societies and Associations Act, which is commonly known as the Dread Act of 1974. The Dread um, Act of 1974 sounds really cool. I have a feeling it sounds like a like a decent like album title. Yeah, yeah. The Dread Act. This law, in effect, allowed the government to arrest, brutalize, or murder. Anyone who had dreadlocks uh, for cool. absolutely no reason whatsoever. Just yeah. wait, just um, dreadlocks, just like a hairstyle. Yeah, because it know was it's like affiliated with with the religion, but it's yes, just like. But it was it was not it, like it's not like it didn't exist before yeah, Rasta. It's just a, it's just a way to have <laughs> your hair when it's a certain texture. Yep. Uh. Yep. Dope. Now, it in effect 
uh, made the roster religion illegal. Um, a best case scenario for Rasta during this time, uh, during this particular reign of terror, uh, if they didn't want to be like beaten or whatever, was to cut off their signature dreadlocks. Um, the, and most people didn't want to do that because even then they're just associating with someone who might be a Rasta was enough to get a visit from the cops right. and they're either being beaten or lynched. Um, yeah. So like yeah, either you have so, your, your dreads and it's obvious or you cut them off and it's also obvious you just cut off all of your hair. Yeah, it's not a good. It's, no choices here are good, which I'm sure was the point. Mm. Um, so, uh, other others did le- flee the country, uh, but others also escaped into the jungle to live on their own. Uh, most ran, uh, cut off their hair, or uh, fleed into the jungle. So, like some of them, like did all of these things at various points. Uh, but the important part here is the people who ran off the jungle, uh, because they have a continued. Uh, part to play in this storyline. Uh, the Dreads created hidden communes where they hid from authorities and raided nearby towns for food and supplies. Violence is very common between the two sides, with the government blaming the Dreads for murdering civilians during the raids. And some of that is true. That absolutely did happen. Uh, but the government was also killing the hell out of civilians yeah. uh, and also Dreads. So it, it's really hard to tell which one was uh, members of the Dominican Defense Force, the cops, or the Dreads. It all just kind of bleeds together at you, some point. Like, and not like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm opposed to violence where violence can be avoided. But you have these people who you chased off. You're threatening to kill, and they need food. So if they come in and they try to take food to survive, and the neighborhood just starts attacking them, like violence is going to happen. You set up a system where it's literally unavoidable. Yeah, yeah. It's like um. When we when we were talking about uh, uh, the Cambodia during the Khmer Rouge, like they effectively turned low scale uh, civil war into something of a uh, government policy, right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> and that's what happened. <laughs> so that's not good. Uh, but also, the locals got in on it. Uh, the reason for this was the Dreads, despite rejecting modern society for failing them, knew they needed money and food in order to su- survive. So they grew weed. <laughs> Now, um, the problem is, for people who don't know, growing weed isn't that hard, but it is material intensive. You need a lot of resources. You need a lot of water, but you also need decent land. Uh, You can't really hide a weed farm very depending on where you're at. I can't can't grow anything. I probably couldn't grow weed, but I do know you need a lot of water. Yeah. um, Because I see people complain about that all the time. Um, But... Because many of the dreads flew into the foothills, farmland good enough for farming weed was lacking in that there wasn't enough to go around. So it brought them into direct conflict with the locals who were also using the land to grow for weed. (laughs) Um, Because they were also getting into the drug game. Mm. Uh, This wasn't because everybody wanted to become drug traffickers or drug farmers. Growing weed was just significantly more lucrative and easier than growing the island's other main cash crop, bananas. Because the banana uh, economy had completely collapsed. Wonder how that happened. (laughs) Yeah. So you could bust your ass growing banana trees, whatever. They come from trees, right? They do, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's fine. It's Um, not like pineapples. Yeah, um, which... I, I don't know what I assumed pineapples grew from, but I assume they didn't grow f- like they do. But um, Straight up out of the ground? It was... Uh, yeah, it's weird. It's, it's strange, uh, but they're a strange fruit. Uh, but like the banana crop 
price had completely cratered. Mm. So people could bust their ass growing bananas um, and make very little money. Uh, or they could have a significantly easier time growing weed and make more money. And they weren't making a killing because they were a go between for drug smugglers and stuff. And the farmers always get fucked in situations like this. Right. Um, and they were getting fucked here because enter the Dominican Defense Force. Um, the defense forces have been established in 1975 with Prime Minister uh, being its sole commander. This obviously being Prime Minister John. Though for some reason the commander... Uh, chose the ceremony rank of colonel to do so. What? I don't really get that either. Yep. Yeah. It's weird. Um, okay. Sometimes this happens. Like Muammar Gaddafi, he 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 was always a colonel. He never promoted his, himself to his like, whole general thing was like that he like he wanted to remain ostensibly like a man of the people, though, right? So like he chose something along if, those lines. Yeah, I wonder if 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 John Patrick was doing the same thing, where it's like, no, 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 I'm not a despot because I'm only a colonel. You got to be a general to be like a real tyrant. Maybe, but this is also uh, a defense force yeah. of like less than a company of infantry. So like, it doesn't really need a general. <laughs> true, it's true. He just wanted to be practical. Yeah, yeah. I guess this is. I mean, at that point, you could just call yourself captain. But whatever. Um, Commodore. Even though the country was pretty much destitute at this point, uh, the ranks of the DDF, who numbered around ninety people, <laughs> so yeah, like a normal infantry company is like I don't know, one hundred and thirty-five to forty. People in the U.S. military, uh, so it, it's a very, very small yeah. unit uh, of of people. Uh, I believe the Honolulu Police Department is significantly stronger than this defense force. That's how many people uh, have are in way my more robots? Division. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, they have robot dogs. Yeah, yeah. Um, so even though there's only about ninety people, uh, John lavished gifts and money on them um, in order to win over support to their side because. You know, he he knew he was kind of fucked, uh, but he also knew he needed someone on his side because the government was slowly starting to turn against him. And he's a prime minister, so hypothetically, he could be easily ousted from that role. Right. Um, so, but in order, to, another thing that he did to win them over is uh, he allowed them to pretty much do whatever they wanted. And what they wanted to do was also get into the drug trade <laughs> to make more money. Um. This meant the DDF also went to war over the weed fields at the same time as everyone else. Jesus. Uh, on top of creating a small personal army of aspiring drug runners, John also had done a terrible job managing his country. This led to general unhappiness, as those things tend to do. This be- uh, protest began in the capital, and John did what most assholes do in situations like this. When confronted by the people who were supposed to work for, he deployed cops and soldiers to counter them, who ended up firing into the crowds of civilians. Uh, two people died and dozens were injured. I mean, well, now, was he supposed happened? to listen to them? It's ridiculous. Uh, maybe? I don't know. I live in America. We don't do that here. Listen to protests, I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, we listen to the cops. Um, now, surprisingly, and I say surprisingly because I lived in a failed state with a Gucci suit on, mm-hmm. um, after sicking his personal army and his people and murdering people in cold blood, he was voted out of office by the House of Assembly a month later. So... Cool. Huh. Um, now, because this is a prime minister position, he's also ha- was still a member of the House of Assembly because he was a representative. Okay. Um, but he did lose his role as a prime minister, and then the next election cycle, he immediately lost his seat. Um, oh shit! Okay. Yeah. So now he's unemployed. Cool. Uh, fuck you. <clears throat> Wouldn't have been a problem now, if he set up an actual. It's fine. <laughs> it wouldn't have been a problem if it wasn't for all that apartheid gas smuggling yeah 
would have got away with it too if it wasn't for you meddling Rastas. Um, now, if you thought murdering his own people, starting a weed-based civil war, and getting voted out of office was enough to maybe give John a hint that he should stay out of power, you must be new around here. Obviously, when he was kicked out of office uh, in 1979, but within a year, he was trying to make plans to get back into power by any means. Enter American Ku Klux Klan member named Mike Perdue. Um, yeah, this is where things get very, very weird. I didn't expect the Klan. Sarah, I gotta tell you, there's a lot of Klan in this episode. <laughs> I I truly did not expect the KKK. <laughs> a wild Klansman appeared. Um, oh no! Now Purdue was, you know, an army veteran, I guess, in some capacity. Um, now I've seen some reports describe as a Green Beret. I've seen others describe as just like an infantryman, but it doesn't really seem to matter. Uh, but he was a self-described mercenary, which is not a title that you oh. can give to yourself. Um, it's a like you actually have to do something to earn that title. It's like I'm not a sniper. Like it's a title, just because you could shoot a gun. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but he called himself a mercenary and was selling his services as one. But he wasn't one, actually. He was a truck driver in Houston, Texas. How is he selling them? <laughs> Just like in classified ads? Uh, yes, actually. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Man seeking hitman. That whole story. Uh, funny story about that. Also, yes. Um, <laughs> we'll get there. Okay. Uh, so he was a truck driver in Houston, Texas, who was a member of the KKK. Uh, and he apparently constantly daydreamed about being a soldier of fortune, despite never actually being one. His brother said, quote, Mike had a lot of big plans over the years, and we never took him seriously. This is oh. the first time he actually tried to carry one of them out, though. But they always do eventually. This one that we're going to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Now, that big plan was the invasion of Granada. Uh, Granada's government okay. had just been overthrown. <laughs> yeah. Granada's government had just been overthrown by Maurice Bishop's Marx- Marxist New Jewel movement. Now, like most racists and neo-Nazis, Purdue fucking hated communism. Maybe more than he hated black people. It's hard to tell. So he reached out uh, to the former leader of Granada to offer putting him back into power for a small fee. Uh, Marcus Gary, the former leader of Granada, agreed. What? So Purdue began to put together a team that he thought he would need. What? Uh, yep. <laughs> just, just. But he was a member of the KKK, so in order to make connections, he reached out to who else but David Duke. <laughs> uh, <laughs> David David Duke is probably one of America's most well-known racists, and almost at one point governor of Louisiana. Very close, um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and he, so I should say he's America's most well-known racist who is not currently in elected office. Yeah, that, that, that almost happened a couple <laughs> times. Um, was this was Duke thought? God, was this whole thing? Was he contacted by a wannabe mercenary truck driver before or after he ran for governor of Louisiana? This is in the late seventies, uh, so I'm not sure when he ran for governor. Um, I believe the eighties. I think it was the eighties, but he was in like he was like a small time representative before that, anyways. Uh, so he ran in nineteen ninety one. So yeah, this is before that. Yep. Dream big, you know. Um, and hopefully fail if you're David Duke. Mm. Um, though, so yeah, 
David, everybody at this point, David Duke's still very well known. Uh, he's the face of American racism, effectively, and he was all the way until very recently, quite honestly. Right. Um, so normally, when you're a guy who has to know that there's like all of your phones are bugged or whatever at this point, um, hmm. uh, maybe don't take calls or letters from someone who are looking to start a racist, weird coup against communism in Granada. Yeah, those meetings have uh, to happen Duke in person. The plan- yeah, Duke thought the plan was great. Uh, <laughs> so he used his vast KKK connections to help him find money and people for the operation. Oh my god. Though David Duke would not get arrested or go to prison for any of his rule on this, none of this would have happened without David Duke being a middleman. Um, now, the first man that David Duke got in contact with was a guy named Don Black. Now, do you have you ever heard of Don Black? No. Because you probably have, and you just don't know it. Oh. We'll get there. I'm scared now. Black was from Alabama, because of course he was. <laughs> and he was a high-ranking member of the KKK who once worked for J.B. Stoner. Uh, now, J.B. Stoner was the leader of the short-lived National States Rights Parties. Fantastic. Which is the neo-Nazi party. Uh, and they were almost certainly connected to blowing up a synagogue in 1958. Uh, but just to underline how gross these guys were, this is off topic slightly. Another guy who worked for J.B. Stunner campaign was Jerry Ray. He is brother of James Earl Ray, the guy who killed Martin Luther King Jr. Oh, my God. We were recording yeah. this on MLK Happy Day. Martin Luther no, King a, Day. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Yeah. Jesus. It all comes back full circle. No, I did not plan uh, for this to be recorded today. Um, now... Credit where credit is kind of due here. Jerry Ray was not as awful as his brother. He did shoot Don Black in the chest. Um, But Don Black survived, unfortunately. Um, Now, this is where I said that um, maybe you've heard of Don Black. Yeah. Don Black started Stormfront. Oh. (laughs) That's right. Oh. (laughs) Uh, for people who don't know what Stormfront is, it is the largest, or was the largest, I know it's been deplatformed and moved around a couple of times, uh, a forum resource, if you will, I don't know what you want to call it, for white hate in, yeah. in the world for the longest time. Um, it's a, I believe it's a forum, uh, pu- puts out like propaganda and all sorts of shit. Um, don't go there. It's disgusting. Um Oh, I know like a thousand people are going to Google it now. Oh. Um, so it's kind of fallen out of favor recently because I know Stormfront is mostly a KKK thing, but there's a lot of neo-Nazis and now you don't have to go to like a white hate yeah. thing. You can just go to, to Facebook. To, yeah, you can just talk to your fucking mom sharing Facebook content now. Man. Um, but yeah, it's still, still totally there. Uh now, like most people have probably heard of Stormfront. You probably haven't heard of the next guy, Wolfgang Drogue. The hell of a uh, name, which though. I fucking hate that his name is so cool. But, I mean, his name is cool because it's a villain name. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, w- he was the leader of the Canadian Heritage Front. That sounds uh, So most of these, a lot of these guys are fucking Canadian, which is weird. Huh. Um, the Heritage Front was formed after the collapse of the National Party of Canada, which survived in some way or another, but a lot of the people went, the more extreme of them went and formed the Heritage uh, Front, uh, which was weirdly inspired after Muammar Gaddafi. What? Uh, invited a bunch of Canadian neo Nazis to visit Libya for some reason. Well, comes back to Gaddafi, yeah, baby. Gaddafi's I don't everywhere. know why. Gaddafi and David Duke. 
Uh, it's like uh, Gaddafi also hung out with like uh, straight up street gangs yeah. um, to sell them like anti-air rockets at one point. He's a weird dude. It's wild. Um, uh, though the Heritage Front never managed to do anything in the political arena other than like smuggle American neo-Nazi bans into Canada because like Canada and like the UK and Australia and a few like New Zealand, I think has some laws that if you're like this disgusting, they'll just ban you from entering. Right. Um, and a lot of these bands are like uh, not allowed to enter Canada. Uh, so they like effectively were coyotes for Nazi bands going into Canada, uh, which is very strange. Um, but that's like was their their main method of their weird activism. Uh, like I said, Canadians are are very involved here because Drogue was not alone. Uh, There's a lot of other Canadians with him. That that included the Grand Master of the Canadian KKK, James Alexander McCurder. Does he spell Canada um, with a so K? I I would assume they have to, right? right? KK Canada. So, but <laughs> KKKK. What's the extra K for Canada? Um. Outside of these guys, there's about 10 others actively involved in the operation themselves. All of them with some connection to the KKK or American Nazi Party or, you know, the, like the, the fucking, what was the other one? The, the White Workers Party, all sorts of racists and Nazis and stuff like that. Also, a lot of, the me- a lot of members of the ATF, but we'll get, <laughs> we'll get, we'll get there. Um, now, cool. Yeah, people began to get suspicious because, like, to pull off like a, a big goal like this, you need money, right? Right. Um, so he had to do fundraising. Uh, so he had to like trick people because you can't like even you know you can't do neo Nazi uh, bake sales. I, I mean, they call those like uh, police union fundraisers, oh, you're but. Right, uh, right. I, uh, you can't like e- even in America where dog whistle racism is like the norm. Mm. You can't wear a Nazi armband and talk to like a millionaire and get funding. Um, like, not that they don't dis- they don't disagree with your with your politics. It's that if this shit goes tits up. They can't be seen giving money to Nazis. Right, right, right. Um, but you know who they can give money to? Anti communists. Oh, sure can. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's why all that money went to Rhodesia. Yeah. It's that they're like, oh, we don't support apartheid. We just don't like communism. Um, the two of those things are uh, the same. No, nope, um, it's fine. Yeah. So he pulled a deck out of the old Silver Core uh, playbook cool. and began lying his ass off. Uh, Purdue began to tell everybody involved that he is a Vietnam veteran uh, with extensive combat mercenary experience in Uruguay and Nicaragua. He claimed that he had the backing of the CIA and the State Department and that former governor of Texas, John Connolly, and U.S. Representative Ron Paul of Houston knew what he was doing and approved of it. They just couldn't give him money. He couldn't have fingerprints on this shit. Did, did nobody... He told them that they would be... F- nobody checked? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the fucking 70s. Yeah. You're not going to Google it. It was a lot easier um, for people to just lie about themselves back then. That's like a lot of the people who uh, volunteered to go fight in Rhodesia were like, yeah, I'm a hardcore combat experienced guy. And they're like, word. Good we'll enough take for it. me. Why would you lie to me about this? You know? <laughs> um, and uh, he, he told that, that his new recruits that, uh, remember, like, all these guys were horrible racists. 
in, in various shades. Sure. However, they didn't want to like get involved in a suicide mission. <laughs> and uh, it's like in Silver Core. He obviously was sending these dudes in to die. And he got people who should absolutely know better, like fucking Green Berets and Seals and shit, who are dumb, but they're not this dumb right. to like look past all the rough edges. Like, no, 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 man, this is a CIA app. Because, like, you know, you look around, like, we both know, like, well, the CIA does shit like this all the time. Yeah, right. No, yeah, this does sound like a <laughs> CIA hop and that it sounds real shady. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this is how he sold it to fundraisers as well. Um, so he, like, he tricked the people that would actually be going to Dominica with weapons and also people who gave money. And people gave a lot of fucking money. Jesus. Like, tens of thousands of dollars uh, at a time. Um, Jesus. To include David Duke, who gave a lot of money, uh, but yeah, there was like uh, some construction company out of Texas gave him like fifty fucking grand. What the fuck? Like, if even if I was someone who is very, very anti-communist and like racist or whatever, and I had, I don't know, a big business construction company thing. It, you know, wherever, and I had all this money lying around, and some asshole who has a day, jo- day job driving a fucking mm-hmm. truck down the street I was like, hey, I work for the CIA, by the way, I need money. Like, look, I agree with your goals, but I feel like you're fucking lying to me. It must have been, like... <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, this... There's there's nothing to back this up. I mean, maybe there was. Maybe he was better at this grift than, than I'm giving him credit for, and he had, like, fake, I don't know, fake cards or some shit. But, like... I'm just sliding a a memo on like a fake CA letterhead yeah. with like misspellings. Like, yeah. please go do coup in Dominica, Dominican Republic crossed out and it says Commonwealth of Dominica. <laughs> I just wonder, like, did was he promising this construction company and other companies like, no, 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 you'll get exclusive rights to build in this in our new like capitalist utopia or whatever. Like how? Because 50,000, you got to be getting something in return for that much. Oh, Sarah. Oh, Yeah. I'm going to tell you what, what this guy's plans were, oh. and they're insane. <laughs> um, but yeah, he sold it as, as all like, you know, the, the State Department and the CIA absolutely wants us to go topple um, Eugenia Charles, who was the, the person who took over after um, Patrick John. But, but remember, before they're talking about Granada, um, mm. well, we're going to go kick out the New Jewel movement. It was explicitly Marxist. Um, because, you know, they're a threat to national security. They're going to let the Soviets in there because <laughs> the fucking Soviets care about Granada so yeah. much, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, They've got all this extra cash to throw at Granada once it's free. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a lot of Cubans that, like, immediately moved into Granada, but, like... That's Cuba, that, though. That, and that would... Yeah, and that would be how, um, like, they would eventually greenlight the, the U.S. invasion of Granada, among other reasons. But, like... He was effectively like, no, they want us to go get rid of them. So, like, you know, the the, the effectively the um the domino theory effect of the Caribbean. Very right. stupid, right. but it worked once. It ended up working twice. Um, well, actually, three times. We got the U.S. invasion. So, Nazi hat trick. We did it. Um, but you can't just launch a coup, right? You got to train for that shit. Uh, and outside of you know Purdue, apparently, none of them had any training. Uh, and they also had no land or any like compound yeah. in the mountains or anything to go train from. Uh, so, like, where do you find a fucking mercenary training center? Well, back during our episode about Rhodesia, we talked a little bit about how these people found their way 
to you know apartheid junior in africa to fight a war and that is a classified ad in soldier of fortune <laughs> same thing uh i found the ad yeah. i actually found the mercenary training school ad oh um, and you can find it online um it's still there uh most of the old soldiers of fortune magazines have been um scanned and you can find them online and they're unhinged messes yeah. they're great um so they found an ad that literally said mercenary training school that's what it's pl- and it, uh, just so you can tell like how unorganized these classifieds were there wasn't like mercenary section <laughs> the rhodesia recruitment section or anything it was just as an ad placed just below and uh, another ad looking for a guy looking to sell a bunch of army medals um uh, <laughs> To include the Medal of Honor, which I'm going to assume this guy did not earn. Um, well, if he sells so them to Purdue, school, though, Purdue will look extra legit. This could work out. Yeah. So this school was ran by a guy called Franklin Camper, who was actually a former FBI informant. <laughs> now, uh, he wasn't like a full-time FBI informant. He actually only informed for the FBI so he could uh, inform on a local uh, uh, black communist liberation group. What a- Piece of shit. And then, so, <laughs> the worst right. kind of snitch. And this is a guy in like southern Alabama, like right near the Florida border. Um, so he was a self proclaimed mercenary trainer based out of Alabama, and he also was not very good at his job. No. Uh, there was another, there's another story uh, where he brought an entire training class of his fucking mercenary university or whatever over the border into Florida and then accidentally trespassed on the grounds of a power plant, and everybody got arrested. <laughs> Um, so that's funny. Um, now, so our band of fearless Nazi mercenaries um, attempted to recruit Camper into the cause, but he turned it down uh, because he thought it was very stupid. Um, oh, that's bad. I remember this is a guy who got his entire class arrested at one point. Um, I know when I'm trying to launch a super secret coup operation, I just invite everyone I meet. Well, he seemed like um, a cool guy. Yeah, yeah. Totally trustworthy and not a cia spook at all or, or fbi spook whatever it's fine they weren't communists or black he wasn't going to inform on them yeah that's fair and there's no evidence that he did um even though he knew all about their plans um so all of these plans put together they have their money um so now he's just got to do the plan right yeah so he puts the team in his money together to go training and then their final steps to go invade granada completely fall through <laughs> purdue wanted eric gary to land with him during the invasion which was i'm assuming going to be a seaborne event i was gonna ask um, how are they getting there yeah um i assume uh, a yacht i don't know <laughs> now purdue's an idiot but he also knew a group of white people who would almost certainly be wearing or holding kkk and nazi shit <laughs> wouldn't be very welcomed by the black inhabitants of granada so he thought that um gary would have to land with them um and uh, like to like rally people around them. Sure. And Gary rightfully assumed this dumbass plan wouldn't work and he didn't want to get himself killed in the effort. So he refused, ending the plan. Um, I mean, and to be fair, there's a very real possibility that all these dudes would have been killed because one of the first things that Maurice Bishop did when he went to Granada was set up a people's military. Yeah. Uh, so there would have been a lot of guns pointed at him uh, with Cuban training. So like they would have been much better like off than anything that would have made yeah. them. <laughs> Yes, not from some guy in southern Alabama. Yeah. Um, so this left Purdue with a bunch of money and Nazis and no coup. Uh, and since it wasn't 2021, they couldn't just invade the U.S. Capitol just yet. They had to turn to Patrick John and Dominica. Now, 
Uh, John couldn't offer Purdue any money because remember he didn't have any, uh, but he did offer them other sick benefits if he could switch his Granada plan over to Dominica. Purdue would be given a high office within the government of Dominica and be given complete command over the newly expanded DDF. Jesus. But that wasn't all. His company, or his company that all of them kind of threw in together, called Nordic Enterprises, of course, would be given huge amounts of land. Uh, Now, they would also be given complete charge over the timber industry. Um, Yeah. Which is like gives them a... Which gives them a legal front, but uh, they were also going to be given that airport plan, the one that we originally talked about with like the weird airport. Oh, you wanted a compound? What about a fiefdom? Yeah, um, they would also control tourism and agriculture. Uh, But their other plan was to turn Dominica into a gambling paradise, and of course, smuggle some drugs while they're at it. This is man. I'm not gonna make my own coup with hookers or with blackjack and hookers. You know what? Fuck the coup. Just give you all that. Uh, another part of their plan was to turn Dominica into something of a Nazi paradise. Without any laws in place, they could use their racist fiefdom to turn out Nazi propaganda back into the U.S. and Canada. Though the plans were not consistent depending on which Nazi or KKK <laughs> member you talk to, Purdue just wanted to squeeze as much money out of the island as he could while getting to play military, which he obviously was a huge fan of. While several of the Canadians wanted to put John in power only temporarily with the long-term goal of establishing their own apartheid state on the island. It's not that big of an island. There's also a... I know, right? There's also a side plot by a Canadian mafia leader named Chuck Hanover uh, to turn the entire place into a headquarters for a cocaine manufacturing uh, system and gun running. Uh, So it, it, it was a libertarian paradise, really. I'm just picturing a bunch of like... A bunch of like variety of Nazis and Klansmen, all in like different parts of their uniform, daydreaming, and all the little bubbles above their head are filled with different libertarian and racist dreams. <laughs> oh yeah, yep. Yeah. Like depending on who you talk to, they all had wildly different ideas. Uh, they just knew they wanted to do violence to someone that had a different skin color. I think it's a common um, goal that united them, really. Because if you notice, like. He recruited them all, all of them racist, into like an anti-communist thing to invade Granada, a plan which is a suicide mission. Um, because like they're, they, I mean, the New Jewel movement, outside of all the racism that these guys were, you know, their brains were soaking in, was Marxist, you know. Right. Uh, but Eugenia Charles was like the Ronald Reagan of the Caribbean. What? <laughs> so like, yeah, so like, uh, the, yeah, the Eugenia Charles, the woman who took yeah. over Dominica after Patrick John, was not communist in any way. Um, but they're just like, yeah, sure, fuck it, let's do it. Oh my god! So they didn't give a fuck. They just want to do race burger. Um, it's like that uh, the whitest kids you know skit where the guy is just hanging outside the window, like, come on, man, race war, race war, bro. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, but they did a coup. Um, now Purdue traveled to Dominica and met with John, who managed to strike up a friendship with none other than drumroll, the Dreads. Okay. Yeah. Um. Now, John was telling the Dreads uh, if he was put back in power, not only would they be able to grow and sell weed, the government would stop uh, oppressing them and he would overturn that law that he did. Yeah, remember that time uh, I told you I'd kill all of you? <laughs> what if I could I could stop that, though? Guys, hear me out. I had my fingers crossed the whole yeah. time. <laughs> this time, it'll um, be different. And Purdue, who hated them for not only not being Christian, but also being black. Right. Uh, 
knew that if he swept into power, which is what his goal was in some way or another, he would already have a functional marijuana growing system in place to immediately exploit. So he was like, yeah, sure, let's do it. Um, and also enter the DDF, which was still loyal to John, who had been training and arming the dreads while uh, in preparation put the, uh, John back in power while also smuggling drugs. Um, they're all drug smugglers at this point. It really doesn't matter. Now, unfortunately for John and his Nazi bros, all of these plans would be for absolutely nothing. Uh, Patrick John got kicked out of office. He was replaced by someone good at the job, kind of. Um, Eugenia Charles, who we've talked a little bit before uh, as prime minister. Now, it was a job that she'd hold for 15 years. And uh, one of her missions, other than going the U.S. into invading Grenada Hmm. uh, for no reason. I see what um, you mean with the Reagan comparison. Yeah, yeah, like it, people have called like the Iron Lady of the Caribbean, oh. like comparing her to Margaret Thatcher. Yeah, uh, and yeah, I, I, she didn't do anything that disgusting. Even comparing her, comparing her to Ronald Reagan's pretty. Terrible. I mean, she didn't have that much power uh, if she was just in charge of the Dominic, uh, the Republic of Dominica. Uh, the Commonwealth, Commonwealth Dominica. Of Dominica. Sorry, <laughs> the Dominican Republic is a different place. Oh. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it gets confusing, but uh, like she did go the U.S. intervening Grenada for no reason, mostly. Um, coming up with things that Maurice Bishop really didn't do. Uh, then Maurice Bishop was, you know, cooed and killed himself. And she was like, think of the destabilization, <laughs> you know, uh, but whatever. But one thing that she did do was root out corruption within the DDF, or at least try. Um, now, Charles was pretty much like everybody else. And that knew that uh, in the fact that she knew that the DDF was effectively uniform drug smugglers and were high all the time. So she began to actually arrest people uh, within the DDF for openly smuggling drugs. One of these soldiers that they arrested uh, attempted to pass a note to a cop um, to now that note was supposed to be delivered to another member of the DDF, the head of the DDF at the time. Um, And the note said that, don't worry, the plan should still go ahead. <laughs> and uh, that note was addressed to the head of the DDF, who's also in contact with Patrick John the whole time. Oh, my God. So they were also arrested. Yeah. Uh, I mean, credit, like, I'm, I'm actually kind of shocked because, like, the uh, the Dominican cops are also incredibly corrupt. But even that guy look at, took a look at that note and was like, God damn, even I wouldn't do something this <laughs> yeah, stupid yeah, yeah. and turned him in. <laughs> um. Now, this should mean the end of the plot. Everybody involved is arrested, but it wasn't. Um, Purdue, because, you know, Patrick John was not the important part of the plan. So Purdue just changed the first part of the plan to raid the jail and free him. Because they like he still needed Someone. John to, like, yeah. look, we're putting him back in power. Right. Um, he, now, the problem is he was doing this while calling people on unsecured phone lines from Dominica back to the U.S. and Canada and then back and forth once he got back to uh, the U.S. Now, I don't know about Canadian intelligence law or anything, but this shit immediately got picked up by Canadian intelligence. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know if they're allowed to monitor phone lines without, like, warrants or whatever, but, like, the unsecured payphone calls from Dominica to Canada between two neo-Nazis immediately yeah. got picked up by Canadian intelligence, who then fed it to the FBI. Uh, though Canadian intelligence pointed out that they were certain that the United States knew about it because they were being they were so bad at their planning. Um what I think the Canadian intelligence did that the FBI didn't is that the like the Canes like no 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 they're actually going to try it yeah. they're, they're not just like talking shit anymore 
Uh, so the FBI is like, fine, we'll tell the ATF. I guess <laughs> the if we ATF, have to. Like, yeah. And the ATF like immediately infiltrated this group. Um, by the time uh, of the actual proposed invasion, three members of the invasion team were members of the ATF, which is pretty common for shit like this. Um, like they were undercover agents or they just like wanted to do a coup? Actually, I should point that out. Um, they were not uh, cops who happened to be Nazis also. They were ATF members pretending to be Nazis. Okay, okay. <laughs> Something we need to differentiate uh, these days. Uh, they're undercover agents, okay, yeah. Okay, okay, Um They probably also had parlor accounts if they're still alive. Um, yeah, that's just for fun, though. This was fe- for work. It's just for OSINT. Don't worry about it, bro. We're good. Um, in February... Purdue tried to hire a boat, uh, which is a key part to, you know, obviously invade an island from New Orleans. Right. Um, now, because he had such a small invading force of 10 men, <laughs> which admittedly, if they were like highly trained men sure. or whatever, I have I have no doubt they could push aside the DDF who are all untrained and high all the time. Well, half of them are like in their pocket. busily smuggling drugs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and their commanders in fucking prison. Um but that there was like ten dudes, so they all can fit comfortably on one boat. But I mean, chartering a boat over like two thousand miles of ocean is pretty expensive. Yeah. Uh, so he had to spend several thousand dollars. I think it was like ten thousand um, dollars to charter a boat. Uh, the person took the money and uh, kind of saw that they may or may not be dealing with someone who is doing crime uh, and just ghosted him. <laughs> So and made off with his money too, which oh, is yeah. kind of hilarious. I don't know if I don't know if that uh, the person that ghosted him got to keep that money or the ATF got in contact with them. Mm. I think they'd be they should be allowed to keep the money. Um, but they then, uh, as like a last ditch effort, like fuck, we need to find somebody else. Um, so they simply went down to the docks. This is Purdue. Went down to the docks uh, to hire another charter, and he did this by asking a captain. Hey, could your boat get to Dominica? And he was like, "Yeah, why?" And then they, he said that we needed to charter it for a top secret CIA mission. Yep, 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 yep. That's how that happens. <laughs> like, no, bro, totally. Now, the captain rightfully uh, did not think he was being hired by some CIA people, <laughs> um, and he was actually a veteran himself and had been at one point an, an informant for the ATF. Oh, um, and a re. Yeah, a reason for that is because, like, being a, a ship captain on the harbor uh, in a major metropolitan area means that, like, it's a smuggling route. Yeah, right. And he was kind of, like, known as being a guy who just kind of, like, hung out the harbor and would, like, tell the cops if he saw some hi- sideways shit. He's just a general snitch. Yeah. Um, but he he also happened to be a, a boat captain. And um, he so he's like, mm, yeah. I'll take that job for the CIA, you know? And then he immediately called the ATF and the ATF was like, well, we already know about this, but now that they're actually like making exit strategies towards Dominica, we should probably do something. (laughs) Um, Because this is like, even though it's an organized group of people, right? Like Purdue's doing a lot of this independently with like Don Black doing a lot of the heavy lifting as well. Uh, And then like only later are they telling the people who are supposed to go with them. So there's a good chance that the ATF people who were in the ranks didn't actually know about the boat plan right. until the boat guy called the, the cops. Uh, that, that really would have mattered because at, at the point where they're boarding a boat, the ATF agents either have to like arrest them or not get on the boat. 
Because um, yeah. at that point, you're just invading a country, which is very illegal. Yeah. It, well, you know, it's, it's for work. Yeah, it's, it's a work trip. Um, <laughs> but you like, so you need on, enough evidence to like act on it. Otherwise, it's you you can't arrest half the people involved. Yeah, I would say that like I'm not I'm not a cop, but like I would say that like the burden of proof uh, ends with chartering a boat to go to Dominica, and I'm glad the ATF agreed uh, because on April 27th, 1981. While the men all load themselves onto their hired boat with 30 different rifles, dynamite, which was gifted to them, uh, along with thousands of dollars. Yeah, it was. They literally, someone sent them gift wrapped dynamite that's, from a, like a KKK group. That's kind of hilarious. <laughs> yeah, this, oh, this is some shit I had laying around. Uh, and a Nazi flag, because of course, yep, um, all of which you could find pictures of. Yeah, the ATF showed up. Um, it's actually kind of funny. They like said something like, "You're not going to Dominica today." <laughs> like you know, they were like speaker. practicing that in the car. They're like, "Okay, what are we gonna say? We need a good line." Yeah, that takes the sunglasses off. Like you can cancel your island invasion. Um, now, despite wanting to go to war on an island not too far away, they all surrender without a fight because <laughs> they're spineless cowards. Yeah, as it as it um, goes. Now, if you're like me and you're not a lawyer, you're probably wondering, like, okay, what did they do do that was technically illegal, right? All of their firearms were actually legal. They were oh. legally purchased. So, that, yeah, they didn't violate any rules there. Uh, and, I mean, is, is there like an American law? law is very loose. Is there an American law against so, invading another country? Probably not. There is. It's called the Neutrality Act. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, so they they were uh, they they were charged with violations of the Neutrality Act, a law that is not used very often. Yeah. <laughs> now this law forbids assaults on nations which the U.S. is not at war with. Um, I assume that is a loophole that you can still use to be a privateer in some function. <laughs> I don't know. Um, like technically, the U.S. is at war with Afghanistan, so I could invade it. Well, also we're not technically at war with Afghanistan either, um, but whatever. There was a guy who tried that and didn't get very far, though. Uh, they made a Nicolas Cage movie out of it, like any good hero. <laughs> the guy was actually deeply troubled. He was some like evangelical weirdo uh. who crossed, attempted to cross the border from like Pakistan into Afghanistan while carrying like a claymore. What? Just one, just <laughs> like one a claymore. Sword. Oh, a sword, oh. not a mine. Like a double-handed oh. claymore sword. Yes. Um, deeply unwell, man. Um, there's also another guy who did get into Afghanistan and set up his own black site independent of like the CIA. Um, I think he might still be in prison in Pakistan though. That's I don't fine. really remember what happened. He with can him. stay there. Yes. I, I abolish the carceral state, but keep that guy somewhere that he can't get out and start torturing people again. Yeah. Uh, Asterix. Some, some exception may imply. Yep. Yep. Um, now, this law, the Neutrality Act, because, like, I mean, it's a very uh, strongly worded law, right? Like, they invade, assaulted a nation that, they, like, the U.S. is not at war with. Like, you can assume this is, like, some intense shit. Like, yeah. you're going to go, like, face some serious federal time, right? Yeah. Everybody involved in less than three years in prison. Oh. <laughs> you, you, what? Like, they wanted to take over an entire country. But if you were to steal the wrong item from a store, you can get more jail time than that. 
they were protesters in Utah being yeah. threatened with a life sentence yeah. for a BLM protest. Right. Yeah. They were threatening journalists in Seattle for not handing over photographs with like three to five years in prison. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, to be fair, this is certainly more time than anyone who invaded the Capitol is going to get. That's true. So, you know. Uh, but yeah, they all did less than three. The most that anybody did was three years in prison. Even Purdue? Now, they all fought. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh I think God. he did the most time at three years. Yeah. What the fuck? They all fought the charges and attempted to turn the court into something of a showpiece of their Nazi bullshit. Uh. Now, one of these is actually kind of funny because Don Black uh, was forced on uh, like under oath to explain his Nazi beliefs. Okay. And he did it in such a way that kind of made him look bad to other Nazis. Uh, because like someone asked him, was like, do you believe that white and black people um, are equal? And his answer was like, under the law, yes. Uh, which I guess is a very Nazi way to cop out on your belief. Sure. But like other Nazis countered with, under the law, they shouldn't be equal and stuff like oh. that. So like he fucked up on that one. Instead, he tried to frame himself as what else? A good old anti-communist. Now, I'm going to say a quote from Don Black. I will really like to say it's going to be the only quote I ever say <laughs> of Don Black on this podcast. And I want you to just mull it around a bit. See how it feels. when I And, and let me know if this is probably something that you would hear anywhere else. I already don't like it. All right. Quote, I supported Reagan, and the only reason why is we had a strong national defense. More and more countries are being swallowed up by communism, and it is important to stop it in Dominica because it is in our, it is in our hemisphere. Yeah. Joe, I got to tell now, you, I don't like it. To counter this, a State Department witness ridiculed the defense's assertion that Dominica was threatened by communism. Uh, Black's attorney, Patrick McGinty, a formal federal prosecutor, praised Black in his closing argument to the jury. Quote, he believes in America. He believes in the Constitution. Ugh. He believes in the equality of man. He believes in God in this country and for what it stands. He called black, quote, a highly principled, definitely outspoken, and not afraid to take a stand for what he believes in. He's a strong, conservative, active young American. He is a doer, and we need more people like him. Oh, my God. I have to say, reading that right now in 2021, that could have it's been about the Kenosha shooter, like... What the fuck? That could have been that could have been about fucking uh, ho- Holly yeah. in fucking Missouri. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's actually kind of funny that like the pro- it said like the federal prosecutor laughed when he when they were talking about communism in Dominica because like they all worked with Eugene and Charles. Yeah, <laughs> they're like communism. That all one, right. not that one. Yeah, um, I mean th- this is a hundred percent the way. Like knowing that. This is how they're describing the guy who eventually creates Stormfront. Mm. And they're like, it, it, it just slaps very weird when I'm pretty sure this is how Tucker Carlson described like Kyle Rittenhouse too. Yeah, exactly. So like, it's all very dark um, and I'm certainly doesn't speak anything about There aren't the certain trends going place. through the thread of the history of the United States. It's ridiculous. Yeah, probably shouldn't pull out those threads too hard or we might get an insurrection or something. Um, Womp. Yeah. Now, while on stage, Purdue and his fellow uh, defendants did what else? Uh, but immediately try selling out all of the people who got them there. <laughs> it's incredible how this keeps happening. Oh, yeah, there's um, it's that individual spirit, you know. Yeah, it's almost like when you build your entire spirit on individualism. There's no solidarity, and it's great watching them tear apart each other. Um, now, uh, 
he pointed out, this is Purdue, that every prominent conservative in America knew that what they were doing. Though most didn't give them money, they all supported it about, or they all knew about the plot and supported it morally. Um, and Black's attorney attempted, uh, Don Black's attorney, that is, attempted to uh, defend this by subpoenaing both Ron Paul and former Texas Governor John Connolly. Oh. Now, yeah, um, the judge, for some reason, refused to subpoena them in. Um, I could kind of understand why Ron Paul wouldn't have been subpoenaed because he's a sitting congressperson at the time. Um, in, in the dumbest way possible, I could see why that would occur. Right. Um, but John Connolly was a former governor holding no office at the time. Um, but while the judge threw out the subpoenas, I, I, maybe it's also because like it really had nothing to do with the the charges at hand. Like there's not even if Ron Paul was like. Yes, I am a representative in the in the United States government, and yes, I supported Don Black's plan. That doesn't make his plan any less illegal, right? And it doesn't like just because you agree with what's happening doesn't mean you're actively like providing for it, right? It would it would just mean that like Ron Paul did crimes, um. So like the subpoenas almost certainly would be met with. I plead the fifth mm-hmm. if I was if I was to be in their shoes, which I wouldn't because I'm not a Nazi. Um, Strange that now. This would also be a very, very easy thing for both Conley and Paul to distance themselves from, like, laugh and be like, of course I had nothing to do with a KKK plot to overturn Dominica. Right. They didn't. Neither one of them ever defended or ever, ever denied being a part of the plot. Furthermore, Don Black and Ron Paul continue to be very good friends. And Ron Paul's uh, recently took a picture with both Don Black and his son. Okay. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. I can make inferences. So you can assume that he did support it. I mean, like, come on now. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> yeah. At the very least, he told them, if this is successful, I will speak on your behalf. I believe on the last episode I did with Shocks, our question from the Legion is, what conspiracy theory is your favorite? Yeah. This is now my favorite one. Because, like, I think I legally have to say there's a good chance he had something to do with it. I fully believe yeah. he did. Yeah, the state of um, Texas may or may not have supported an attempted coup. I mean, that's how the state of Texas exists yeah, yeah, in the yeah, first yeah. place. You could say that about a few different times in history. Yeah. Um, now, while the Americans got off relatively lightly and went on to, I don't know, do uh, be successful in their fields of being awful people, yeah. Don Black especially, um, Patrick John was hit with a 12-year prison sentence. Um, and actually shortly after this, the, uh, the Dominico was also hit with another coup attempt this time by the, again, by the DDF, which failed, uh, and led to the DDF being disbanded entirely. It probably no should exists. have happened after the first one. Maybe. Yeah. Um, no, John was not done attaining high levels of power and then doing everything he could to enrich himself with it. After he was released from prison, he became head of the Dominica Football Association, (laughs) soccer, um, which immediately became very, very flush with FIFA cash. Now, if you know anything about FIFA, it's one of the most corrupt institutions on earth. Um, And they're almost routinely racked by bribery scandals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did a lot of bribery. All sports institutions (laughs) are, but FIFA is just very open about it. Yeah, um, and he did a lot of that, uh, but he was be- so bad at that that even FIFA banned him from the organization. Damn. Yeah. Uh, now, I hate to leave this 
episode on, on a down note because obviously it's something that tends to happen mm-hmm. um, on this show from time to time. So I'll try to cheer everybody up. In 2005, Ro- uh, Wolfgang Drog was shot in the face while trying to buy cocaine in Canada and died. <laughs> <laughs> that that is, Nazi cheers everybody up, right? That's the most like Nazi death too. Shot over cocaine. <laughs> uh, but yeah, everybody involved is if they if they have been shot in the face over coke, they're still around today. Uh, Don Black hosting Stormfront on various different websites, mostly based in Russia, um, with like Gab and stuff like that. Parlor now too. Yep, Parlor now too. Um, so Sarah, we do a little thing on the show called questions from the Legion. Mm-hmm. If you would like to ask a question from the Legion, you can donate a dollar to the show and slide into my uh, DMS on Patreon or send me a message on discord and I'll answer it on the show to the best of my uh, ability. I really like this one. Who would win in a fist fight? Napoleon, uh, Napoleon Bonaparte or Joseph Stalin? I would be Stalin. Napoleon 10 you times out of so? 10. And here's why. Okay. Yes. Napoleon was a soldier until the day he died. Um, now he got he got a little bit like thick around the waist or whatever, but like that dude was a fucking scrapper. He didn't survive all that long, uh, be- uh, uh, all that time because he was a weakling, and he he died probably because the British poisoned him. Um, also, I'm biased and I hate Joseph well, Stalin. Well, I don't like. Yeah, come on. <laughs> but Joseph Stalin did like, especially if he's younger. For going with like a younger Jay Stalls, he used to do like train robberies and bank heists very poorly. But he did them. And so he definitely That's wasn't true. like, he had no fear when he probably should have until he got older and then he was afraid of everything. But like, this is true. For, it depends on what age we're talking about. Cause yeah. like Stalin became, lived long enough to become a crippled old man yeah. and stroke out and die. Um, and to live his own piss as he deserved. Good. <laughs> um, I don't know. Young Napoleon was a scrapper too. He was, uh, so Corsican pil- uh, politics when he was growing up was mostly based on street fighting and assassination. Um, so he was like knife fighting and shooting people in the streets to get, uh, to, to make his way through politics. Not to mention he survived the French revolution. Um, Okay. But Stalin survived like by shooting a lot of people with cannons. Stalin survived like a lot too, though. I don't know. That's a, that's a tough one. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, obviously I'm a Napoleon stan, uh, and I don't normally stand the aristocracy because you shouldn't, uh, Matt, not a soft guy. Maybe now Emperor Napoleon versus <laughs> Chairman Stalin would be a shitty fight for <laughs> everybody involved because they both got fat and weak and, <laughs> and didn't care. Um, it would be both of them just yelling for their second and then their third and then their fourth to come and fight for them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, the Marshals of France versus the Marshals of the Soviet Union. Oh, France would um, win that one. Yeah, because they were all like their early 20s and 30s yeah. and killing yeah. things with swords still. <laughs> they also were being that, kept up all one. night by Stalin, forcing them to watch westerns while they drank. It danced, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hiding tomatoes in their pockets. So, young Bonaparte versus young Stalin. Hard to say. Old Napoleon versus old Stalin Napoleon. Uh, yes. We'll let everybody yes. else... <laughs> we'll let everybody else... Iron out the details. Um, I know it's hard because they're 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 both fighting a lot of people when they're young. Yeah, I think a lot of people forget that because they obviously they weren't famous until they were in charge. But like, they both lived through a lot of shit. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Hard to say. Hard to say. I mean, they both survived revolutions and then co-opted those revolutions and do terrible things. <laughs> <laughs> 
Maybe they just uh, would have gotten so, along. Anyway, actually, Sarah, thanks for coming by. Yeah, thanks for having you know, me. For all the for all the things that Napoleon was, he did like lay out the Napoleonic Code, which was very progressive for its time, and also more progressive than Stalinist Soviet Union. Um, uh, but I don't think they would have been good hard to friends, say. but uh, you know. He, Napoleon would absolutely still try to invade Russia because, uh, like, he was friends with Alex and still invaded <laughs> Russia. So fuck it. Um, yeah, Sarah, if you'd like to plug your show, this is the plug zone. Plug away. <laughs> I don't know if I like the sound of the plug zone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it could be used for many different things. It's not a multi-purpose plug. <laughs> In this case, um, I have a podcast where I talk about ocean science and. Um, Sometimes ocean politics and a little bit of the history of oceanography. If that sounds interesting to you at all, you can find us on Twitter at um, From the Sea Pod. The podcast itself is called It Came From the Sea, and it's on most platforms. If it's not on a platform you use because I'm small and doing this by myself, then just message me on Twitter and I will get it up on whatever platform you want to listen to it on. If it's not on a platform, it's Ocean, ocean Erasure. Um, so again, it's Great to have you on, for always. Um, well, Nick is t- attempting to set up his internet uh, because poor bastard. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, until next time, don't do a Nazi coup. Or I mean, most other kinds D- of coups. People in DC already broke that. Yeah. Don't do coups. Don't do, do coups. coups. Don't do insurrections. Yeah. Revolutions. Yeah, don't 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 do political violence, folks. It's bad actually. Uh and we'll see you next time. <laughs>